Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Brian Thacker's seventh travel book is Tell Them to Get Lost, Travels with the Lonely Planet guidebook that started it all. Travelling Southeast Asia with a copy of the first ever shoestring guidebook published in 1975, Brian travels through Portuguese Timor, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Laos and Burma. Brian caught the travel bug not long after finishing university and has since travelled to over 70 countries. He's worked as a tour guide, ski instructor and advertising art director. He took up full-time writing in 2003 and has since published seven books on his travel adventures. So Brian, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, we're very intrigued by your uh, latest book, Tell Them to Get Lost, Travels with the Lonely Planet Guidebook that started it all. I am, I'm about halfway through it and I can't put it down. Uh, tell me first, tell me about the book. Why did you decide to write this with this angle? Um, I was sitting with Tony Wheeler, who's the founder of Lonely Planet, after the book signing after a at the Melbourne Writers' Festival, and uh, no one was buying our books, but we were just sitting there chatting away. And uh, I was talking about how I travelled in Corfu many years ago with this old guidebook I picked up for 50p from a boot sale in London, and how in the old guidebook it says it said that there was this tiny little fishing hut where you get some lunch, and then I came around a corner, uh, I'd seen this beach in front of me, and there's 500 pubs all called the Red Lion full of English people reading the same newspaper and uh, so I was just telling Tony about that and I said has anyone ever tried to do that with a Lonely Planet guidebook and he said I don't think so and I said would you have a copy of the first guidebook I got out and he said yeah and a few minutes later I'd had this this trip planned all through Southeast Asia with this idea of getting that old guidebook from 1975 and using that as my only guidebook just to see what has changed and what is still around what a great idea. I mean, so when was that? Was that um, 2000 and what? And then when did you go on your trip? Um, that was 2008, I think, the Riders Festival. And I sort of I split the trip up, but it was over 2009 mostly, the trip. And then did you write while you were there or did you take notes and then put it all together much later? I have a, a carry around a little exercise book, like a, when you get in primary school, <laughs> and uh, I scribble notes frantically as I'm going along. You don't take a laptop or a iPad or something like that. Not at all. No, I just like just like taking notes, and then I transcribe the notes, uh, transcribe all the notes, then onto a word document when I get home. You do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. So take us back to when you first started in writing. What made you interested in it in the first place and how did you get into it? Well, it's got this great story of um, twice in my life that this wonderful thing's happened. It was because I got retrenched. Right. I had this silly dream come true. 
first time I was normally my, uh, in my former life, and I, I was in advertising as an art director, and uh, in advertising you get retrenched a lot when they lose accounts. And one time I got retrenched and there was no work around, and I saw an ad in the paper for uh, tour leaders in Europe and winter work. And uh, I was, when I first ever went traveling, when I, when I finished college, I went skiing in Switzerland. There was a guy there, his job was a ski guide, and I thought, what a job. And so I got this silly dream. I went over and got a job as a ski guide in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And, and in the summer, I was taking tours around Europe, busloads of drunk Aussies and Kiwis around Europe. And then when I came back to Australia, I got back into advertising again, and a couple of years later, got retrenched. And while I was sitting there waiting around, I thought, I'd kept a journal, just a journal of all the... Uh, the things that the locals got up to, what the passengers got up to on the tours. And I was thought to make a funny book because there were so many funny stories. And uh, um, I thought, well, instead of sitting here watching Oprah, why don't I just start writing down a couple of stories? And I started writing down a couple of stories, and I thought, hey, this, I think I could get a book out of this. But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. I'm not going to uh, sit on it for years. So I took four months off, or more like four months off looking for work, <laughs> and... <laughs> What year was that? When did you take four months off? That was 1999, mm-hmm. and then uh, end of 1999, and then I uh, just hand wrote the whole mess into uh, into into sort of big exercise book things, mm-hmm. and then it, it looked like the ravings of a lunatic. So <laughs> then it was about eighty thousand words. So I rewrote by hand the whole thing again. Oh my god! Oh, because it was just scribbles everywhere. I hadn't. At the back of my first book, it actually says, Brian has vast writing experience. He's, he's, he's written over a thousand postcards in his travels. So I, had, I really didn't have much, I had no formal training or writing. Mm-hmm. And um, I was lucky enough, my sister types about uh, 1,200 words a minute. So she typed up, the, the, she got my second lot of notes and then typed it all up for me. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I finally started working on the, on the computer on it. And... Um, the other thing I did was told all my friends I was writing a book, so they'd all be encouraging me, and I gave myself, of course, that deadline. Mm. And then I printed out 10 of copies of the manuscript and gave them out to friends. Just to, Thankfully, none of them said, that's a lot of rubbish, uh, give it away. Mm. Um, and they you know, tried to get some response from people. And then after six months after I started it, I had you know, close enough to a finished manuscript. Right. And so art direction is very different to writing. <laughs> In fact, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite. Did you have an um, interest in writing as a, as a young child or was it just something that, that developed and came naturally to you when you decided to do this? I think a couple of things. Yes, I did. I was a, a really, really big reader, which I, I do lots of travel writer workshops now and um, mm. And I just say it's it's so important to read, and uh, I was just happy that I was always been a big reader. And even when I was a teenager, and all my friends were out running a mark, I was still reading like mad. Mm. So I always I think that's a big thing. And I did before I went to art school. I I I did really enjoy creative writing and went and did quite well at at school. But I never really touched it since. I hadn't touched it for twenty years, mm. or you know, a long time at least. Anyway. And so what did that first book become? And, and how did you then get the publisher interested that very first time? Well, I think my, I think my advertising background helped me because and with all of my books, they're almost like an advertising idea because I know it's about selling. And so my first book, my, with the title was called Rule Number 5, No Sex on the Bus, which I think, you know, it's a catchy title. And I, I got one piece of advice from someone and... And was good advice was to, 
to try to get an agent first before a publisher because mm. we all know publishers have messages, slush piles, etc., etc. And so I sent it. I got the writer's handbook and picked out ten mm. agents and sent sent off uh, my the whole package with a synopsis. And I did a marketing plan. I found out how many people went on tours and said this is your potential market and mm. and did a, um, a whole sort of package, including including I even shot a front cover, even though it wasn't the, inf- the final front cover at all, but just a, that bit of wow factor. Mm. And um, um, I got the nice rejection letters, as you do, <laughs> and I don't know if I can swear on this. It's not a terrible swear word, but <laughs> one, of the, one, of, one of the agents wrote back and said, no one wants to read that shit. <laughs> Which okay. Is a bit harsh. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. And he said, because every, I, I went on a tour bus tour of Europe and no one's interested in it. <laughs> but I, I did get an agent, um, thankfully, only about a week or two later, so after that rejection letter. <laughs> and um, they sent it off to a couple of publishers, as they do. They don't send them off to hundreds at once, they send them off to a couple at a time. Mm. And as you know, all the different levels of uh, publishing editor, publisher, acquisition meetings, all the different mm. things they have to go through. And uh, lucky enough, it was, it was sent to someone at Duffy and Snellgrove, but she was leaving. So her, she was a publishing editor and her publisher wasn't interested. So she was going to Alan and Unwin to children's books, but she took it with her and gave it to one of the other publishing editors there she quite liked it. Right. And that publishing editor didn't really like it that much either. <laughs> but the publisher was walking past the desk and saw it on the top. And they saw the bright colour, the cover, and then saw the name, rule number five, no sex on the bus, and the publisher. Mm. But what's that? She picked it up and flicked through it, and away I went, and I got a publisher. So <laughs> Serendipitous. Yeah. Good thing you had that attractive front cover. Yeah. <laughs> so then did you decide at that point, I'm going to do this travel writing full time, or what were your thoughts about how your career was going to go? Did you think you were going to go back into advertising? Um, well, first of all, I wasn't quite sure how it was going, to, how the book was going to go, but it went really well, and they printed it lots of times. And um, even if no one wants to read that, as I said before, um, so it went really well. So the publisher said, um, "Do another one, of course." <laughs> so um, I did that mostly from uh, book again from past travels because I was still working full time, mm. and um, and I did a few journeys for that that book, but um, to, to, to finish off that book, and then. That one went quite well. And then halfway through this, writing the second one, I left full-time work. And what helped you get to that decision? Uh, one of the things that helped was uh, um, being a travel writer, I had to travel and you only get four weeks holiday a year. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big problem. And I'd, I, used, I, used, um, I used four weeks of it to do for, for a bit of research for the book, but I still had all this other research to do for the book and I thought, well, they're not really going to give me holidays, so I'm going to have to leave. Yes. Were you confident at the start? Because obviously you didn't you know, study travel writing or, or do it at university or whatever. Were you confident at the start and, and comfortable with what you were producing? Uh, I, no, no, it's one of those things that um, I, I had no idea whether I was going to get a publisher. And I thought, well, it was honestly why well, I thought, well, instead of just sitting here waiting to look for work, Mm. I might as well be productive and creative, and there's always something I wanted to do since I read my first travel book. I was thought I'd love to do that, mm. and um, so I thought if if I don't get a publisher, I'll try every angle, and if I don't, then I'll just, I'll self-publish and make a hundred copies and give them out to friends and the people I used to work with doing doing these tours, you know. Mm. So um, 
it was there was never any real thought of a career beyond that. To be honest, it was it was oh that went well and I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll do another one and then. And it kept going and going. <laughs> so you've now carved out a an excellent career in uh, writing travel memoir, really, isn't it? Um, yes. What you, you obviously enjoy travel, I assume. Yes. <laughs> what about it is so appealing? I mean, I know a lot of people who, sure, they love to go on their holidays, but they don't want to be, you know, traipsing around in hostels or, or lugging their luggage around for 12 weeks at a time. What do you find so appealing about it? Yeah, I love the moving. I love the traveling. And mm-hmm. uh, for, this, for the book, Tell Them to Get Lost, I, because I was tracking down these old hotels, I'd get to a city in I'd, Kuala Lumpur, for example, and I was there for three nights. And in the three nights, I moved to three different hotels. Wow. And I was rarely in the place for more than one night in the entire trip. But I loved it. I I just I uh, I love just discovering and I love getting lost, and uh, which is there's a lot of me getting lost in this uh, current book because the old maps from 1975 were all hand drawn by Tony Wheeler, mm. and so I uh, get lost a lot. But I loved it. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> so <And clears throat> Asia has obviously changed a lot since 1975, as you, and you've got some great tales in your book. What would you say are some of the biggest changes that you've noticed in Asia since then? Uh, there's, there's places like Phuket, for example. Um, Batong Beach in 1975 had um, um, a restaurant on the beach where you could pay 11 cents to sleep on the floor, mm-hmm. 8 cents for an extra for a mat to sleep on. Um, and that, that was the only place to stay in Patong. And of course, you don't need to, uh, need to go there to, and to write about it to know that Phuket and Patong is you know, a massive mm-hmm. massive tourism draw card for everywhere around the world. And they've got more than 35,000 hotel beds, and I think they get about 3 million visitors a year now. So some places just exploded, of course. And yes. Koh Samui, you, you had to um, get a little fishing boat. You get there to get one of the, a local fisherman to take you across, and you'd stay in a fisherman's hut mm-hmm. back in '75. So, <laughs> it's a few places like that have just exploded, of course. What are some of the mo- most strange experiences you've had while travelling? <clears throat> the most changed experience? No, strange or crazy. Oh, oh there's been plenty. I mean, uh, of course, being a it's, it's being a travel writer, <laughs> you you go out of your way to step outside your boundaries, you know what I mean, to to get interesting stories. Because, mm. you know, it all makes good stories. Mm. Um, I had, it's one of my books, I had uh, on the Trans-Mongolian, which is the train from Beijing to Moscow, mm. I had some mad drunk Russian put a gun to my head. <laughs> and I don't know if he's going to rob me or shoot me, because I've been known to shoot people and throw them off into the, the tundra and never be seen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It took me a few seconds to panic because I thought, oh, it's a gun. I've never seen a gun before. Wait, I think he's putting that in my head. And then his friend grabbed his hand and it fell on the floor because he's going, no, no, no. And then they were fighting on the ground for the gun and it took me a few seconds to realise I should get out of there. And I ran down the corridor and got to my compartment. Of course, the first when the compartment locked the door, first thing I did do was not panic but rub my hands together and I thought, oh, that's a good story for the book. <laughs> so the stranger the better. And, you know, I've, eat, I've, eaten some, some, I've eaten some of the strangest food because I'll – if they put it in front of me, I go, well, I have to try it. And, you know, I've eaten like, rancid shark meat, which is uh, buried in the ground and, and then uh, weed on and then um, rots for three months and they dig it up and eat it. You know, I've eaten some, <sighs> some, done some strange things, yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you think, 
idea. Why do you think travel books are so popular? Oh, there's. It's funny because I've, I've you know met lots of readers and things over the years, and um, there is the armchair traveller, people who are happy to uh, travel vicariously through someone else sitting on their nice comfy lounge seat, seat at home, mm. and um, also uh, if people have. There's a lot of people like to read about where they've been or where they're going as well, which I think is a big thing. And also places and things that they just wouldn't do. Yes. I think as well, you know, like people, um, when people who trek walk for, you know, walk for three years through the, through Mongolia with a donkey or something, then something they wouldn't do. So, you know, people like to read about something they wouldn't do. What makes a good travel writer? Uh, I think telling a, I think it's um, observing. I think that's a really good thing is uh, is observing what's going on around you, and it's not it's not just about writing about the scene. It's trying to get a evoking a sense of place and um, people, and really getting into the immersing yourself in the culture and getting to the, the people and good dialogue and being a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. People often refer to a sense of place. What do you mean by that? I think it's a combination of everything. If you can, um, if you can really write about the the, the, the culture and the, the colour and the people, and if you've got really good conversations and good uh, good stories about people and places, then that all of that combines together to, to make that sense of place. I believe. Mm. And so you write in your exercise book. Do you kind of live in mortal fear that this is going to like get stolen or lost or or oh, soaked? Yes. Or, I mean, yes. and all your stuff is gone. I always say to people, they can take my money, passport, my backpack, my clothes off my back. <laughs> I'm standing there naked, but I've still got my notebook in my hand. I'm happy. <laughs> Have you ever lost one? No, I've been. I, I've. <laughs> I have it. I keep it constantly me with with. I have like a slingback backpack, mm. and it's often at the front of me. And I'm clutching it whenever <sighs> there's crowded people. I clutch it so that it's no, it's not going anywhere. So yes, same with even this. Um, in the other way, in this travelling with this 1975 guidebook, mm. of course I couldn't lose that either. No, if, that, if I lost that in the middle of Malaysia or wherever I was. I wouldn't be able to get another one. No. So I'd be in all sorts of trouble, so I was very careful with that too. And so when you come back with your exercise book and you're formulating your stories and the structure of your book, do you uh, have? Do you find that you have enough in your notes? Do you forget stuff? Do you have to go look stuff up again? You know, how, how, does, yeah, that, just, how does that translate to the actual, you know, page. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I a few years ago I was lucky enough to have a dinner with um Bill Bryson, of course we know. And I asked him the same question because I was interested in what he did. And we and it was identical to mine is that he just takes lots and lots of notes. I'll sometimes write four pages about something and get a sentence or two about it. Mm. Or then the opposite when but the problem is the opposite sometimes when you just write a couple of sentences and then when you get back you think that was actually really quite interesting and then you're trying to rack your brain and yes. you're saying there's a yellow church on the left-hand side and it was actually a green one on the right-hand side. Yeah. So that's why I just try to take as much notes as I can. Mm. And most of my travelling I do by myself too and often you're sitting in a restaurant by yourself and I go to, in my travels I go to some, I go to countries and places where there's uh, no tourists at all mm. or something and then uh, so I'm sitting there a lot by myself. So I actually start, I actually start writing bits and pieces out that might actually become 
the writing in the book itself, if you know what I mean, or start that as you're writing. Do you ever get home and because travelling can be such a blur, especially if you're going to three different hotels and three different nights, so do you ever get back and go, I really just don't remember <laughs> what happened when I look at this these notes, I, I you know, just don't recall? I, I seem to do okay out of it, and the good is because I can take detailed notes. I may actually sit on my notes for um, a couple of months before I start writing as well. Because mm. then when I read it again, I go, ah, oh, and it actually um, brings, you, brings my memory back to other things or around that thing. Mm. But in one of my books, which I did a book called The Naked Man Festival, I went around the world to all these kooky festivals, including the Naked Man Festival, mm. is the festivals were often only just over a couple of hours sometimes because it, you know, it was like a... Like the Naked Man Festival was only a couple of hours, and it was very hard to to get so much information down in notes. So I actually did that entire book with a dictaphone, right? And then transcribed it from that. Mm-mm-mm. And so, it's when you do um, write it, you need some kind of structure. You need to have a thread coming through it. How do you determine that? Do you again? You wait till you sit down, and and do you think about it chronologically? Do you think about some other way to structure it? How does that work? Yeah, I always mostly I have an idea at the start how I'm going to structure it. I mean, the lucky thing mostly for the travel writing, it's A to B, and what happens in between. But um, it's what to add add to it because, um, for example, I did I did a lot of research before and after the trip for um, this, this current one because I wanted to find out what not just what the old guidebook said about travelling in 1975, but I wanted to find, I wanted to find out you know, about airlines and, and how they worked and how people travelled and what the type of people were like who travelled and you know, what, even what the most simple things, how much people earned then, how much they earn now to compare what travel costs. And yeah. So I did, I did quite a bit of research before and then it was a matter of, when I had a separate Word document with all my research on it, and then when I transcribed all my notes from the book, it was almost like a jigsaw puzzle, just putting all the bits in where you think, well, I'm talking about there, so that bit of research would work in well there, and it's really just putting, popping all these bits into place and then and then writing it, and so it all flows. Yeah, and so tell us about your writing routine, because obviously when you're travelling, it's very intense, and it's like go, 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 do, 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 do. But when you get back and you're ready to write... Do you have some kind of writing routine? Do you like only write in the mornings? Do you aim for a certain number of words a day? How does that actually work for you? Um, yeah, I, I wish I was Hemingway because he used to do um, 700 words or lunch, whatever came first. He'd start at six and then he'd go uh, fishing all afternoon and then go to the pub all night. <laughs> but it wasn't quite like that, no. Um, I, I I treat it like a normal job. So I don't I don't... Get in, I don't stay in my pyjamas or my tracky pants. I actually get dressed, sit at my desk at 8 you like I try to treat it like a normal job, yep. and then, um, you know, stop for lunch and then work till 5.30 and then put my tracky pants on. So I try to do it like that as much as I can because uh, I have a deadline. When you, mm. Now I have a deadline, and uh, if I sort of slack off and leave it to the end, which I do a tiny bit, but there's always late nights at the end, but... Um, yeah, I try to treat it like a normal job. So, um, do you aim for a certain word count each day, or or what? Uh, no, not really. And I'm a bit of a word counter, which is terrible. But I, you know, I get excited. I'm a bit nervous because some days I might only write 700 words, but another day I might write 3,000 words. Yeah. You know, like 
you just have a really, really good day. And if you get stuck, then I start, you know, I go doing some research and all of a sudden you, you know, go off on tangents and I'm watching a music clips on YouTube and go, that's not work, and then go back to it. It doesn't work, you know. <laughs> sure. Now, a lot of people think you have the dream job, travelling the world and writing about it and being paid to do so. So what's your advice to people who want to, who are, who, who would love to do what you are doing? Oh, um yeah, it's it's because I try to keep my trips to a, uh, they're not long trips. I don't go um, on like I've just met a writer only a few days ago who rode a bicycle for three years around from England to Siberia and Australia and back again for oh, three years. That's tiring. <laughs> and and wrote a book about it. Um, so you have to have money. That's a big that's a big investment of your yeah. time and life and money and everything. So you know this current book I was away for twelve weeks. So I split it up and I. I have that in mind when I'm writing a book that I'm not going to be. I don't want to spend. I don't want to spend my advance, all my advance, on all the travelling because then I have no money left. Yes. So, and I was staying in hostels at four dollars fifty a night, so I didn't actually spend much money on the trip. Mm-hmm. And then it is, you know, for five months or six months, um, back inside writing the book as well. Mm. So, um, and then it's it's. Um, yeah, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't sound as it quite as exotic then when you sort of <laughs> when you well, okay, I'm away for twelve weeks, I'm away for two months, but I'm spending five, five, six months inside writing the indoors writing the book, and trying to come up with an idea for another book and etc. So tell us about your next book. Oh, uh, I've got I've got three ideas, mm-hmm. and I don't know which one to choose yet. <laughs> so they're all tra- sort of travel ones. Ones uh, not as much travel, but. Uh, one of the one of the uh, ones which which is a maybe is um, my partner and I we both love romantic comedies. Okay. <laughs> and movies, you know. Yes. And you know romantic films. Mm. And uh, and so do lots of people. You just get how many websites are devoted to twenty five fifty best romantic movies. It's just so many people just love them, of course. Okay. And and we thought I thought this idea of travelling around the world to picking some destinations. And then reliving, reenacting scenes from movies. So <laughs> Roman Holiday getting on a Vespa, arriving around oh. Rome, and you know, you think of um, a fair to remember, or in the most when Harry met Sally, the road trip from Chicago to to New York, or so many different films. You know, um, uh, I can't think. And there'll be like Paris and Florence and London and yes. and France and uh, a lot in America, of course. And and uh, so that's that's one idea. I think that's a great idea. I love it. <laughs> And we're talking about the films as well, so it's a combination of the travel. People love travel and people love films, so I'm hoping, you know, I'm trying to think, well, that's a, that's a good idea to sell. Yeah. Because, you know, not only do you have to sell it to your publisher, you know, and then they have to sell it to marketing and then they have to yeah. sell it to publicity to, because ultimately, yeah. if you want to make a living out of it, the book has to sell, so yeah. you write some in-depth uh, personal journey about yourself somewhere that... Um, ten people buy. You're not going to make any. You're not going to make a career out of it. Yeah, yeah. That's my theory, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so, paint me a picture in ten years. Do you still want to be doing what you're doing, or do you want to be doing other things? What? Yeah, tell me about that. Um, I've always, uh, after seven non-fiction travel books, I've always had an idea. I'd like to write a fiction. Uh huh. But um, I. Well, I only do it if I've got a 
fantastic idea. Yes. And I haven't got a fantastic idea. I'm not just going to do it just to think, oh, I'm going to sit here and try and think of some idea and then try to write it. I want to come up with a fantastic idea. And I think it, it will more than likely be travel-based somehow, whether it's set in many locations or whether it's about a travel or, or something. We'll have travelling in it somehow. Have you tried your hand at it? No. But um, you know, I've read books that are on that sort of same sort of ilk, you know, like... Yes. And some of them have been huge, like The Beach. Yes. Alex Garland, you know, it's really a travel book. Mm. And... Um, you did very well at it, of course. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd, I'd like to do something like that if I could. Wonderful. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much for sharing your insights about the writing process and, um, and, and about your latest book. I can't wait to read the next one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're more than welcome and thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.